Lord God, you do shine in our life through the light of Christ Jesus. Through him, we see your glory. So we pray this morning as we come to your word that we are filled, that we are renewed, that we are transformed by your word so that we follow Jesus evermore, loving him, being his disciples. Quicken our hearts through your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Epiphany. Now, how many of you are familiar with the word epiphany? Show of hands. It's not a word that we use a whole lot, is it? I mean, it's just not, it's not one that rolls off my tongue in normal conversation. But epiphany. So what's an epiphany? An epiphany is a sudden insight or revelation. Now, I'm sure all of you have had epiphanies of one sort or another. It's kind of that eureka moment, like, oh, everything has clicked together, and there's sometimes a lot of joy that happens when there's an epiphany. But sometimes epiphanies don't bring joy because you have that sudden insight or realization that the path you have been on is the wrong path. And things need to change completely. Let me give you an example of one man who had an epiphany. You, you know him. You've heard his name. His name is John Newton. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Now, since the age of 11, you might not know this about John Newton, but at the age of 11, he lived his life on ships. And he worked his way up all the way, ultimately, to being a captain of a ship. Now, sailors are known for their colorful language, right? You've heard various phrases about how sailors talk, but John Newton surpassed them all. He was actually known for his profanity, coarseness, and a debauchery which shocked even many sailors. He became known as the great blasphemer. And so by the middle of the 1740s, he had been captain of a ship, and he had been involved in the trade of slaves. So that's what his ship did. It transported slaves. But something happened on March 1748 that he said that forever changed his life. And this is what he wrote. On that day, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. Almost sounds like the prayer from Jonah, if you've been studying Jonah. The Lord delivered him. And from that day forward, things changed in his life. And it was a radical change. It was a radical change. He became a new man. From the epiphany, the revelation of the Lord, he went from sin to salvation. It was a divine epiphany. And so today, we are going to talk about the divine epiphany of Christ Jesus. In him, we see the very glory of God. And our map this morning is actually pretty simple but profound the glory of God is revealed in grace and truth, but not in the law, but in Christ Jesus. 
And that is what we will cover this morning. So let's go into the glory of God revealed. And we start with the Gospel of John, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you ever wondered why? I mean, you've heard this a lot, and the Word became flesh, but have you ever just wondered why? Why is Jesus called the Word? I mean, we just kind of naturally just go with that, but why is He called the Word? Well, in the Greek, it's actually spelled L-O-G-O-S. And I think that might be a fill-in-the-blank for those who are doing sermon notes. L-O-G-O-S. It is either pronounced logos, which is the easiest way to remember, logos, or logos. Doesn't matter which camp you want to fall into. Let's just go with logos because it's a little easier to say and remember. So what does that mean? Well, in the Greek philosophy, logos meant the mind, the intellect of God. But this intellect was transcendent, but so transcendent that it was unknowable. You could not know the mind of God. But John, in his gospel, does something very, very different to help people understand the mind of God. And he opens his gospel account this way, and you know this one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So we find in the Gospel of John that he is talking about the Word in a very different way than any other philosophy talks about. What do we find when we read this Scripture? We find several things. We find that Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. Before anything was the Word. That Jesus was with God prior to coming to the earth. The Word was with God. And that Jesus is God. The Word is God. In the Greek, it actually has this as the word order, and God was the Word. We find that Jesus, the Word, is the creator of everything, and that in Him, He is the giver of life. In Him was life. But John does this, and it's astounding in the, ma- in the matter that he says it. He says, the word simply wasn't out there, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is astounding because the word, God, is personal. He is knowable. Now, I have talked about how Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us the incarnation of God in the flesh. I've talked about that in various times, especially during Advent and also on Christmas Eve. God, Emmanuel, God with us. And I don't want to cover the same ground again, but if you have not listened to those messages, I would encourage you to go back through and listen to them. But let us put it in this manner. God who is infinite 
became finite for a time. God, who is timeless, became time-bound. God, who is spirit, became flesh. This is the mystery, the marvel of God, Emmanuel, God with us. You see this, the true epiphany that is, is that in Christ Jesus, we see the very glory of God. In Christ Jesus, we see the very glory of God. And how do you describe the glory of God? I mean, as I work through the text, it's just hard because it encompasses so much. And we want to see the glory of God. I mean, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He said, show your face to me so that I may see you. And God says, it's too much. If you see my full glory, you will not live. In Exodus chapter 33, he said, but you cannot see my face for man in the flesh. Man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I passed Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. That is how strong the glory of God is. And from our reading today, talks about how Moses, his face shone so brightly because he even had the reflection of the glory of God that the people were afraid even to look at Moses. So great was his glory. But now, in Jesus, the glory of God has come in the flesh. And when people realized who he was, even the demons trembled before them, didn't they? The sinners, the woman who had the alabaster ointment, who anointed him, fell at his feet just weeping and ended up washing his feet with her tears. Even Peter, Peter, when he had an insight, a epiphany of who Jesus is, He said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. That is Jesus, God in the flesh. To see Christ Jesus is to be filled with awe and worship him. Even John the Baptist, he knew this. It says from our gospel reading today, John bore witness about him and he cried out. Remember, John the Baptist was not this demure man. He cried out. He proclaimed to the world. He said, this was he of whom I said, he who came after me ranks before me because he was before me. John and then all of the disciples realized that Jesus is the glory of God. As it says in our reading today, we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, when it says the only Son of the Father, it speaks to the uniqueness of who Jesus is. There's only one Son. There's no other Son of the Father. And He is of the Father, not just from the Father, but of the Father, of the same essence. As you and I have confessed this morning in the Nicene Creed, He is this. He is God of God, light of light, 
very God of very God. You see, when the word became flesh, the glorious presence of deity was embodied in him. Now, I've done my best to try to explain that, and I don't know how to explain the glory of God any more than that. I am thankful for various songs because sometimes songs also help us understand that song, Mary, Did You Know? I love that song. S sing it during Christmas. Judy did a, a wonderful job of singing Mary, Did You Know? for Christmas Eve. But in that song, it also gets to what we're pointing at here. And near the end, it says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. This is who we behold when we look upon Christ Jesus, the great I am. And when you behold Christ Jesus, you see the glory of God in grace and in truth. You see, just as people were overwhelmed by his glory, they are overwhelmed by his grace. What is the grace of Jesus? The grace of Jesus is throughout Scripture, but we find that the grace brings light to the darkness. It brings hope to the hopeless. It offers healing and restoration. It brings peace to those who are at war with God. And it takes those who are dead in sin and gives them life. And it's not a cheap grace. It is a costly grace, isn't it? It is a grace which cost Christ Jesus his very life. And it is a grace that is given in truth. So you can never separate God's grace and his truth. Never. Never separate those two things. So when we say the truth, what does that mean? It means that there's only one truth with a capital T. There aren't many different truths. There's only one truth. It means that there's only one way to the Father, not many ways. It means there aren't many words of truth from other religions. There's only the word, and his word is the truth that leads to everlasting life. And do you know what? You can know the truth. You can know the truth. And how? Jesus told his disciples, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, when you are in the word of him, who is the word, you will have an epiphany of ultimate truth. See, that's what happened to John Newton, right? That's what happened to John Newton. And he wrote that famous, beautiful song that we all love. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. Did you ever wonder what he saw? 
I mean, we sing that phrase, right? And it just kind of washes over us. But he says, I was blind, but now I see. What did he see? The glory of God in Christ Jesus. When people say, I have seen the light, and we have taken that so lightly now, and we use it almost mockingly, don't we? But when you see Christ Jesus, you see the very glory of God. Don't let anybody ever mock you for saying, I have seen the light of Christ Jesus. Because you have seen what they do not. The glory of God. When you know Jesus Christ as the word, who is God, who is from God, who came amongst us in the flesh, in the muck and mire of our sin, then you'll marvel. Then your heart will become quickened by the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but that's what's happened to me. If you listen to my Christmas message, that's what's happened to me this past year. My heart has been quickened by the Spirit. And I have a greater depth of love of Christ Jesus than I have ever had before. It shows the glory of God. It also shows me how I am in relationship to God. And because of who I am in relationship to God, I know that it's a double measure of grace. It is truly amazing grace. For from his fullness, we all received grace upon grace. And that grace can only come from Christ Jesus. It cannot come from following the law. And so let us go on to this next section. We do not receive this life through the law. It says in verse 17, just a short phrase, for the law was given through Moses. This phrase goes by so fast that we barely take time to understand it. And we also want to kind of dismiss it like, oh, that's the law. That's the Old Testament. We don't have to worry about that at all. But the law, and we'll just use the Ten Commandments as the law, the law was given to the Israelites, And they recognize this as a gracious gift from God. A gracious gift. But how did they recognize it as a gracious gift? How is the law a gracious gift? There are many ways to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it in one manner, how the law is a gracious gift. The law shows a spotlight on sin. Now, have you ever taken a flashlight when you were a kid and held it to your hand? Did you ever do that? Take it to your hand? Were you kids? (laughs) You take a flashlight, you hold it to your hand, and you can see like... You know, sometimes you can even see veins or a little bit of bone, depending on how strong the light is. During World War II, when they were testing the nuclear, uh, doing nuclear tests, I don't know if you know this, they actually had ships that were off to the side. Uh, and not f- they were far enough away that the ships weren't destroyed or people weren't dis- killed, but they were way too close for comfort. But the sailors, and there's a video out on the internet that you can listen to this. 
the sailors talked about how they were given directions to turn their backs directly away from where the blast would be. And then they were to crouch down and they were to cover their eyes. Yeah, I know, we know, now that we know about nuclear blasts, you know how ridiculous this is. But one of the guys talked about that when the blast occurred, it was so strong that he had his eyes closed, he could still see the bones in his hand. That's how strong the nuclear blast was. God's word and his law is even stronger than that. It shines through your entire life. Nothing is hidden at all. And it wipes away any illusion that you have that you might be a good person in relationship to God. And it shines powerfully in your life. And we want to we want to hold toward delusions, though. We want to say, well, I'm not so bad, and we compare ourselves to others. But God's word, when you look at it, shines directly on you, and all illusions are completely stripped away. Do you know what the three hardest words to say? The three hardest words are not, Jesus, save me. The three hardest words are, I have sinned. Those are the three hardest words. I want to tell you about a man who had the law, God's law, shining on him so brightly. I've talked about him a couple of years ago, but I don't think everybody has heard or might remember. There's a fellow named Nicky Cruz, and he ultimately wrote an autobiography called Run, Baby, Run. So Nicky Cruz was a leader of one of the toughest gangs in New York. His parents were Satanists, so they worshiped Satan, and they abused him greatly. So brutally hard they abused him that he grew up without any love, a void of love. He was filled with hate. And he said, I wanted to do what others, I wanted to do to others what my mother did to me. I used to feel good when I hurt people. But privately, he says he didn't feel good. Privately, when I was alone, loneliness became like a seductive woman that crawled inside my chest and just ate at me. I was there twisting and fighting. I felt so lost. You see, God's law is not just written out there. It's actually written in our hearts. Now, there are only two people who actually knew about Nikki's condition. One was a psychologist. And Nikki says he told him about five times, he told Nikki five times, there's a dark side in your life that nobody can penetrate. Nikki, you are walking straight to jail, the electric chair and hell. There is no hope. Now there was another man, Pastor David Wilkerson. He risked his life to tell Nikki this, that there was hope. Nikki says, I heard his voice. God has the power to change your life. I started cursing loud, said Nikki. I spit in his face and I hit him and I told him, I don't believe in what you say. You get out of here. Darkness hates the light. But it was the light of God 
shining into the darkness and it pierces everything. You see, if you truly gaze upon his law, you die. Yourself must die. It cannot be any other way. Paul calls this the ministry of death. See, the ministry of death, God's law actually prepares you for the life that you could have in Christ Jesus. Paul writes this from our reading today. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on a stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to end to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Look, the law is glorious in that it brings you to death. It points out that you are ill and that you are dead in your sin and that you need a physician and that there is only one physician who can heal you. And it points you to Christ Jesus. That is the glory of the law pointing to the greater glory in Christ Jesus. So my question for you is, do we still need the law today? I mean, there are a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers out there who don't want to talk about sin, who don't want to talk about the law, and a lot of people don't want to hear it at all. They say, oh, that's the Old Testament, that's old stuff, we've heard that before. That's such a downer. Why do you want to talk about sin and the law and stuff like that and repentance? I mean, isn't it good enough? Isn't it good enough that we just like go to church and we try to be good people? I mean, isn't that what Christianity is all about, right? It's about trying to be a good person, living the golden rule. That's what we're all about, isn't it? No. If you think that is what Christianity is all about, whether you know it or not, you're living under the law. And there's only condemnation because that negates the grace and truth of Jesus. See, you must, you must, must die to sin and live for Christ. And by the way, this is an all or nothing proposition. I've talked about this during our time here, how there's a great separation happening of people who are just kind of going to church and doing stuff, the Christianese things. And they're just unwilling to truly die to self and live for Christ. Jesus says, I want you all, not just part of you, but all. See, there is a new life in him that is glorious. I wish I could somehow convey that in greater words to you, how glorious a life it is in Christ Jesus. See, it is not through the law, but in the grace and truth of Christ Jesus that you come to life. Grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
Let's go back to the story of Nikki Cruz for a moment. Remember how he, we left it? That he said this to Pastor Wilkinson. He said, I spit in his face. I hit him. I told him, I don't believe in what you say. You get out of here. But what Wilkerson said next took him by surprise. He said to Nikki, you could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them into the street and every piece will still love you. Nikki said, it did damage to me. Good damage in my brain and in my heart. I began to question, and for two weeks, I could not sleep thinking about love. So one day, Nikki and his gang showed up at one of Wilkerson's rallies. And one by one, they gave their life up to him. Gave their life up to Christ Jesus. Nikki said it was the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross that grabbed him. He said, I was choked up with pain and my eyes were fighting tears and became to come down and more tears and I was fighting and then I surrendered. I let just Jesus hug me. I let my head rest on his chest. I said, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And for the first time, I told somebody, I love you. The love that Nikki experienced that day radically changed his life's his life. He said, when I opened my eyes, I got a new heart. I had been born again. I'm a child of God. You see, Nikki did not change because of psychology or because of a self-improvement or motivational seminar or anything like that. It was the law of God that brought him to the gospel of God. And in Christ Jesus, he had an epiphany. The love, the grace, the truth of who Christ Jesus is. And because of that, he was born again and he lived a radically new and different life. You see the three wise men here. We normally tell the story on Epiphany about the three wise men coming. But do you know why they came? For the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And that's who they saw. So that is my desire for you this year, this new year. That you live in the grace and the truth, the love and the glory of Christ Jesus. And one of the ways you need to do that is you need to abide in His Word. If you don't abide in His Word, you will miss the blessings of the Word. So for you, I'm encouraging everybody to do a devotional study on your own from the Gospel of John chapter 1. And if you've got a a Bible, a study Bible that has reference, look up the glory of God and just spend an hour or two looking up the various instances of the glory of God. 
Answer this question for yourself. How has God's law led you to repentance? And if God's law has not led you to repentance lately, why not? And from repentance, how have you seen or experienced the grace and truth of Christ Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for you are the glory of God. And we ask that you continue to work in and through our lives, drawing us ever closer to you through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.